Hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode here on Fadreg Sports of the Premier League Podcast. My name is Sebastian Nor and with me is Polly Questel and Elliot Niblock who's back in the United States of America. Yeah, finally, back in Chicago. Chicago, you say? Mm-hmm. Cubs. Yeah, actually staying very close to Wrigley, in fact. There we go. Wait, wait, back in Chicago? Like, as like you're, it's not like you're normally in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, I'm here more than other places, and soon I'll be here even more. So There we go. I've spent about 20 minutes in Chicago. Oh, man, really? Dude, you, you live so close. You got to come here. It's a great city. It's not close. It takes about five hours to drive. Uh, okay, yeah. I'm living in Montana, and the closest city is seven and a half hours away. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I mean, he'll he'll go there next year when the Galaxy go and visit the uh, Chicago Fire. Oh, yeah. There you go. The epic uh, Schweinsteiger and Zlatan matchup. Yeah, if that happens, I'll be there. No, I'll make my it, way back it's up It's happening. There. I'll make my way back it's up happening. there. It's just... Uh, I was just there to renew my Swedish passport and... Uh, yeah, so I was there, drove there five hours, was at the consulate for 20 minutes, and drove back. So that was fun. Yeah, well, citizenship is an important thing. You can make it ah. privilege. <laughs> you know, See, seeing that I got... It's important, to have that, it's important to have that Swedish passport for traveling easily within the EU. <laughs> yes, yeah. that is true. Yeah, and it's going to be increasingly important over the next few years, and nothing changes yes let's get into the soccer here though we've had world cup qualifiers over the weekend and um yeah four points for the united states that's what we said was going to be good if they got out of these two games with four points that was a successful run they started things off by beating trinidad and tobago two nothing both goals from the feet of christian pulisic and uh Whoa, that was an interesting pronunciation of it. Well, I want to say Pulisic, even. Well, that's what he wants you to say. Yeah. Yeah, Pulisic. Yeah, but he also probably wants you to pronounce his name Christian, like the religion and the English word, not like the shorthand of Ronaldo there. Like, who threw in the Christian? Christian Mate Pulisic. I don't. I mean, you could call him even late for supper. I don't care. He's still brilliant. Yeah, in Croatian, they even <laughs> spell Christian with a K. So. Yeah, he's not. Well, I mean, he is Croatian. He's yeah, he's American. Christian Mate Pulisic. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, he's American, and that's exactly what we care about. Yep. At least you know in both of these fixtures. Anyway, yes, so. Pennsylvania born and bred. And uh, scored both goals there. Two nice goals. And showing what he can do when he's giving the uh, the space to roam around. I really... I mean, he was phenomenal in this game. Yeah, he's... Um, I sent a text off... They're, they're at the bar. To, I'll be in a minute. I sent a text off to my friends during this game. And I said, this might be a bit of a hot take. Uh, and it might not be. I think that at 18 years old, Christian Pulisic is already better than Landon Donovan ever was. Ooh. Oh, well, that's, I mean, I don't know. One of the things that bothered me during the course of this game is Taylor Twellman, who bothers me generally, let's be fair, but him saying every time, you know, Pulisic has a good move, certainly at both goals that he's scored, is like, and like, and the legend continues. Like, okay. No, I, he has the potential to be the greatest of all time. That's clear. I mean, I think that that that's inarguable. But it's not the legend continues. It is the hype continues to be confirmed. Yes. Which is great. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, I mean, like, see see what happened with Adu. Adu, yeah. Adu was supposed Freddy to be... Adu was, like, such a different... No one said Freddie Adu was, like, going to be, like, the greatest thing ever. They were just like, he's good enough to play for MLS. At the age of 14, only he's, like, from one of those places in the world where, like, you know, birth certificates are shady to begin with. But somehow, Freddie Adu was playing in the MLS at the age of 14, and that's why we ran the hype train on it. Yeah. And ran him yeah. straight I mean, to the ground. Right, but if no. you, like, look I, at if you, if you look at everybody else, like, all these other players who have careers that begin, like, when they're 16, you know, they're done by the time they're 29. So if, if Freddie Adu started at 14, he'd just be done at 27. Yep. 
Which is like right uh, when he should be able to compete with all the big boys. He'd be he'd be finished. No, that's that, well, I mean that's case. totally true. I mean he still did fantastic as well. Yes. Yeah. Keep me posted. Freddie Adu. Cool, for sure. Freddie Adu did fantastically well. Like yeah, he managed to start the 2011 Gold Cup final, which is mind boggling to begin with. But I don't know if he did fantastically well. He like made a he did a circuit around through like the second rate European second divisions for a while. Uh, yeah, let's see. He ended, yeah. up, he ended up with 17 caps and two goals for the United States. Um, and one of them happened to be a final. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's always something. That's always something he can look back on. I don't know. Does he even have a team right now? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. No, let's and get back. I don't think he's going to find one. Yeah, let's get back yeah, to the U.S. Yeah. Trinidad game, though. Uh, pre, I mean, Trinidad had a couple of chances. Can... Can you whine? Can can you whine? I want to say Ken Kenwin. Yeah, Jones had a header go off the bar. If that would have gone in, that would have made things oh, really exciting. Oh, there would have been a lot of tight buttholes around the United States if that would have went in. No, Ooh. I mean I, I I honestly not to get ahead of ourselves, but throughout both games in this uh, set of fixtures, I think the U.S. are extremely lucky. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, no. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I think that we played well in certain moments in both matches. But overall, like, uh, you know, as Seb said, that header goes in and that header very well could have gone in. Like they they allowed Trinidad to have a ton of chances. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in the latter game, I think that they failed in an opportunity to win at the Azteca. And that's the best opportunity they've had to do that maybe ever. We'll get to and the Azteca. Just... We'll get the Azteca in a second. Yeah, like John Brooks let Kenwin Jones slip away. But at the same time, it's sometimes the reason that these things happen and the reason that, you know, Kenwin Jones gets so... Jeez, sirens really are annoying. Now I know how you guys <laughs> how you guys feel with me. Um, um, some part of the reason you let Kenwin Jones slip away wide open is because you're playing Trinidad and Tobago. And you're playing with one holding midfielder who was Michael Bradley, and there was at one point, and I, like, showed uh, Trinidad and Tobago got wide open, and they ripped that shot that it didn't go in. They won 2-0, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it, oh, it just went wide. It just it, went wide. And yes. it was right off of a throw-in. It was right, right off a throw-in, and you had the whole middle of the field wide open. And the reason being is because there was no midfielder there. And then they showed the behind-the-goal angle, and you sh- and it just showed Michael Bradley just not in any particular mood to try to close that guy down. So eventually Jeff Cameron had to step up, which he did late, and the guy whizzes a shot that just goes wide of the net. Yes. But that happens because you're playing Trinidad and Tobago and because you're, you're, you're not exactly respecting Trinidad and Tobago, and you're saying they're going to sit back all game. We're going to you know play with only one midfielder so that we could attack. So that's partially why those things happen now Kenwin Jones isn't scaring anybody but I tweeted in the middle of the in the middle of the game he may not scare people but if you don't defend him at all he can hurt you yes all you have to do is put like is is half defend him and he's not scary but on that header the U.S. just made it so easy for them I don't want to say just like Andy Carroll you have to half defend him and then it's fine but if you don't you can still score goals I, I don't want to say that they were lucky because, you know, that's every game. You know, that's the way the ball bounces. And yeah. part of that is you make your own luck. And it's not like the U.S. were giving Trinidad and Tobago amazing chances. I, they, they gave them a few. But it's also just, you know, against a bad team, you're going to give up those kind of – you know, if you give up those kind of chances against Germany, you're done, you're done for. But oh, yeah. if you give them up against Trinidad and Tobago, you, you're probably going to get away with it. Mm-hmm. And they had – they had um bunch of chances going forward too it could have ended a lot more than just 2-0 but they're Trinidadian Trinidadian they're actually Toboggan the Toboggan the goalkeeper had a phenomenal game oh yeah he made save after save after save and he had that double save and then the header it was it was just one of those like oh I've seen this movie before where the goalie's standing on his head all game yeah which was which was frustrating, and then Pulis, and and give credit where credit is due. Pulisic's second goal, phenomenal pass by Josie Alpha. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. 
But I, I still, I still well, think, I still think Bobby Wood could make the same play, though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, he he can, but Josie did. So we had we had different yeah, tones a little bit in this wait, between both of them. To, have to let the other shoe drop. Josie Altador gave the ball away so many times in the rest yeah. of the game and was absolutely not a threat in front at all. Yep. Yeah. No, I I think they show that when they play a little bit, you know a lesser team that they can hold their own. They can be the, you know, the attacking force and really drive play forward. But then you got the other side of it. When they go up against a quality opponent, a team that's, you know, on paper better than them in Mexico. And you see the change in formation. And then you see them sitting behind the ball a lot. I mean, it, they just need to, you know, if, if you're talking about, you know, let's say they make it to the World Cup. I think they are going to make it to the World Cup. Really go out yeah. and make sure you get some really good friendlies in against really good opponents before that tournament so you can work on that system so you can try and perfect playing on the counterattack. Well, here's – and I said this – I texted my friend this after the game last night – is the U.S. right now, they should be on the phone with Mexico next to schedule a friendly in March for next year mm-hmm. at the Azteca. Yeah. Because a friendly like a friendly in San Antonio isn't going to do either team good. A friendly at the Azteca Stadium before the World Cup that will do both teams well. And it's always a tough situation because you know we would love to play at the Azteca like a year like we would have loved to do that last year. But you know if we do it last year that kind of helps us more than it helps Mexico because it, it prepares us for World Cup qualifying versus not really preparing them. Although to a degree it does. Um, but, you know, if we do it next year, if we say forget about the fact that we could sell 90,000 seats at the Rose Bowl, like forget about money for a second. Let's put the, the priority of both federations, which is prepare for the World Cup. Let's do that first. And by playing a game at the Azteca next March, that would help both teams out tremendously. Yes, totally agree. Totally agree. So we'll we'll see there. Uh Elliot's and full, then call okay. England and get us a friendly against England. Yes, that's Elliot's awesome. in a wind tunnel right now. Yeah, he's in a wind tunnel. His phone is overheating. It's called the Windy City for a reason. But yeah. I've, I, I've actually, I've got to sign off here in a minute, regardless, because my phone is about to explode. Okay, well, give us um, your two cents on that Mexico game then, before we let you go. I mean, I, what I think everybody agrees is that we were unlucky and, I mean, maybe unjustly playing against eleven men for. 87 of the 90 minutes because it, it, I mean it should have at least been a yellow card and then a straight red for the two elbows that Salcedo thrown. I mean maybe it's like he was so happy that he was over his leg injury and he got to play that he forgot that it's not okay to elbow opposing players in the face. How maybe he how knew that the referee US, would be fine with it. But how come the U.S. never gets that call? It's it's just it's I get, I mean I get it at the Azteca. I wasn't. I was mad, but I wasn't surprised. But just, on the whole, I feel I mean, like, like I feel like Concacaf as a region hates America, which is so weird because America is literally the ATM for the region. Like, there's a reason yeah. that they keep coming to the United States to play their friendlies, to play their yeah. tournaments. It's because we print money for them and they hate us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it was it was a shame, but I was happy with how the U.S. acquitted themselves. I mean, we've been quick to. I don't know, to be critical of Michael Bradley. And I think for good reasons, but nonetheless, yeah, he got the ball well, found his moment, took his shot and did a great job. And overall, I mean, I think that it was the, the, like my kind of final two cents before I ring off will be, I was overall pleased with much of the performance. I have to be happy with the result because it's appointed the Azteca in a world cup qualifier Nonetheless, I think that, you know, the game was there to be won. Like, Mexico did not show up in the way that I thought they would. And a little bit more incisiveness in front of goal. We we could have and should have won this game. Cough, cough, Josie Altador missed header. But, you know, oh, but I'm, I mean, I'm Bobby still Lloyd. overall happy with the result. Yeah. yeah. I'd, uh, I don't know. I'm, and also the, the, the fact that Clint Dempsey just stayed on the bench baffled me as well. But Arena didn't. He acquitted himself fairly well. So that's that's my two cents. I'll let you guys discuss the game in greater depth. And uh, next time we'll be there for hopefully the all 
of the show, but okay. my, my phone is, is not liking me at the moment. Okay, so there we go. It's got the little temperature oh. gauge that's telling me <laughs> that it's not happy with what's happening. But that's okay because it's like 96 degrees here. <laughs> okay. 95 where I am. Yeah, we'll say. I, I want to. I want to go back to one thing that Elliot said in that Mexico didn't come out the way he expected him to. And he even even went out and said earlier that this is probably our best opportunity to ever get a win at the Azteca, which I don't disagree with at all. I just think that next time that we play at the Azteca will be a better opportunity. And the time after that's going to be a better opportunity. It's only going to get easier for the U.S., not just because the way we train and the way we prepare for the Azteca uh, – is more advanced and helps better prepare us, but because the Azteca is not really Mexico's home stadium anymore. Mexico, they play their World Cup qualifiers there, but when they meet when they meet up for like their training camps, they leave, they they are not in Mexico City anymore because things that they say is such an advantage for Mexico. Half to more than half of Mexico's team plays in Europe now, so they're not used to it. So when they have these training camps. Those players can't handle it. So they have to leave Mexico City to have these camps. So then they go to the Azteca where they play their World Cup qualifiers. They play all their friendlies in the United States yep. because that's the ATM machine. Mm-hmm. So they go and they, they play a friendly in Dallas and in, in Phoenix and in all these places where with heavy Mexican population because they sell more tickets there than they do at the Azteca. So... And there was there was that telling stat last night where Chicharito has like 47 goals for Mexico, and I think three of them are at the Azteca. And they said 25 of them are in the U.S. between Gold Cups and the CONCACAF playoff and then just all the friendlies that and the Copa America and all the friendlies that Mexico plays in the United States. That's where he scores all of his goals. It's like Josie Altador only scores in the United States. Same with Chicharito. And... That is a telling sign is that when Mexico comes to the Azteca, they're not as used to it either. Now, Mexico had the advantage of they happen to have a home World Cup qualifier three days prior to this. So they already played in it. Mm -hmm. But the U.S., it's yeah, we're still not used to it, but it's we're not in as big of a detriment. It's almost like because I was um, I was reading uh, Bill Simmons went to the Azteca in 2009 for the world cup qualifier in 2009 where the u.s where it was the game where landon donovan played with the swine flu and the u.s took an early one nil lead and eventually uh mexico came back they won two to one and his whole article was about the incredible atmosphere at the azteca how you know it's like the whole country of mexico is behind them and how the u.s at the time they were just coming off this this run to the confederations cup final so all of a sudden, for the first time in a long time, people were behind the U.S. And it was like, wait a minute, we have an exciting team to watch. We have this Michael Bradley kid was up and coming. We had Landon Donovan in his prime. Quint Dempsey was entering his prime. Uh, Tim Howard was one of the best goalkeepers in Europe at the time. Uh, Charlie Davies was bursting onto the scene. We had this exciting team to watch. And then you go to the Azteca and you just you realize that the difference between Mexico and the U.S. was still so substantial but it wasn't just that. It was, yeah, the U.S. was up 1-0, but the equalizer, not even like Mexico hadn't even gotten themselves back into the game yet, and the equalizer was still so inevitable. And then once they got it, it, everybody, it, it was 1-1 at halftime, and everybody would be like, oh, I would take a point right now. Like, if we could just hold on for a 1-1, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. But he said it was so, you know, it was so obvious that Mexico was going to score that second goal. Mexico knew it. The U.S. knew it. The fans knew it. And that's like what the Azteca was. It's like what Sir Alex Ferguson wrote in his book, like at Old Trafford, like we knew we were going to beat people. We were if we were down two one, we knew we were going to score again and they weren't going to win. Like we knew we were going to break them eventually. That was what the Azteca used to be. And I don't think the Azteca is that anymore. And so, yeah, this might have been a great chance to to win at the Azteca, but. Going forward, you know, Christian Pulisic will be four years older the next time we play them there, which is, what, he'll be 22? Yep. And hopefully he'll be even better than that. Maybe we'll have a new Christian Pulisic by then. Maybe not as good, but maybe somebody that's, you know, better than uh, 
better than Bradley or better than Dempsey and better than better than Jeff Cameron, who had a phenomenal game. Maybe we'll have some better players. Yeah. We don't know that. The difference is that maybe we won't even have a game at the Azteca because it won't be necessary because we'll have 48 freaking teams in the World Cup. But nevertheless, going forward, the allure of the Azteca, that's broken. You know, we're, we've, we haven't lost in our last three trips there. Mm-hmm. It's it's very attainable for the U.S. because its mystique is gone. Yeah, and I think a lot of players said that before going into the game too that they f- didn't feel that same fear factor. So uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, looking at the goals though, Michael Bradley, nice little chip there over Ochoa. You know that was that was great aver- awareness and then good execution to get that goal. Uh, Carlos Vela's goal though, uh, Demarcus Beasley sort of showed his age there. I know he didn't get much help, but, uh, but at the same time... It's, it's, you're it, letting him off easy with the word sort of. Yeah. I mean, I, if, I, if he would have been 10 years younger, I think he would have closed him down. Yeah, but if he would have been 10 years younger, he wouldn't be a left back. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, the lineup came out. So we'll talk about Beasley, because he, obvi- he started, he's the guy's, I don't know, like, was born in 1942, um, started this game, became the first player to play in five different World Cup qualifying cycles, which, by the way, is not a good thing. Like, I guess when you go to the World Cup, and like you see some of those smaller countries, and it's like, oh, this striker is playing in his fifth World Cup, and it's like, okay, that's cool, because he's your whole national team, and, you know, when he retires, you guys are kind of screwed, but, like, we're the United States. We should have someone else. Well, I mean, you you saw that a little bit for some teams like, um, who am I thinking of? Miroslav Klose. I mean, he spent 13 years with the German national team. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess if you do it at the right time, like if you enter, if you break into the national team in March and the World Cup is is that following summer, you know, then you can, you could catch on and manage to to play for five World Cups. Close also entered when Germany wasn't that great, and and Germany managed to develop like fourteen phenomenal players around Mirzlov Close, but mm-hmm. none of them played his position. Yeah. So it was kind of like fine. It was like, all right, like if we set you up for a header, you'll finish it. But you know, we have ten other guys on the field that can do all the work for us. Yeah. And I mean, he was an accomplished goal scorer for a lot of those years too. So. Right. Right. Um. They just it, the issue, the the thing is they they managed to develop phenomenal players, mm-hmm. but nobody that would push Mirzov close out the door. It was like, we'll just we'll just everybody else we could put around you because and you'll still be productive at one aspect of the game, and everybody else can fill in in the other aspects. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of a side tangent, but just looking at it because I pulled up closely here. So 2002, that World Cup year, he had 12 goals and 17 appearances. For Germany. Then 2006, 17 appearances, 13 goals. 2010, 12 goal or 12 games, 10 goals. So he raised his game in the World Cup years. Man. Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, that's, that's really good. Now, we'll, we'll go back here and... Well, let's go back. Let's, we're going to go back all the way now to the Trinidad and Tobago game because I think part of the reason that you know, Elliot said we got lucky. I would say it was a bit more than that. I, I never felt, you know, I felt this is annoying because we're struggling to break them down. Yeah. And and I never felt that we were ever in a position where we might lose the game. Mm-hmm. I did feel, oh, this is actually getting really annoying. And we're, you know, if we fail to score a goal here, that's a big problem. Yeah, it was, it was, frust- I, I mean, that, that, part that, of the, but, that first half was super frustrating. Yes. Part of the reason, though, is it, it was clear and, and it was noticeable. And I, I spoke about it last week after that Venezuela game, how I said Bruce Arena did a really good job because he came out playing the lineup that he was going to play against against um, Trinidad and Tobago. And then in the second half, he switched to a different formation completely, which is probably what you're going to see against Mexico, which is exactly what happened. So he managed to use one friendly to get ready for two games, which was which was impressive. But you look at and everything, and, you know, maybe he plays Josie out the door with Clint Dempsey, which is not a great partnership and didn't really help because if you saw it, like, you know, Nagby and Pulisic were off doing their own thing, and then Bradley was throwing long balls, 
up front to to who? Because Altidore doesn't have the speed to chase him down. Dempsey doesn't have the speed to chase him down. Yeah. And it struggled because the U.S. was very slow. Now, maybe we're playing like that because he had to save Bobby Wood. And according to the Fox reporters, Bruce Arena was talking to Bobby Wood constantly throughout that match. So they were saying, you know, it's inevitable that he's going to come on eventually. He didn't come on until like the very end, or he played the last half hour. But we learn now that Bruce Arena went into camp two weeks ago and told the players, we're going to, like, this is how we're playing against Trinidad and Tobago. There's going to be a boatload of changes yep. for the Mexican game. We're pretty much going to use, like, Team A, Team B, and we're pretty going to, that's pretty much how we're going to do it. So kudos to him. He had. He had a strategy. Uh, did he only start players that were born in the United States in that Mexico game? Elbow nudge, wink, wink. Yeah, he did. But kudos to him. He had a strategy. And, you know, maybe it's this player would do really well in this Trinidad and Tobago game and help us break them down and help us open it up a bit more. But I'm saving him for Mexico because what Bruce Arena made clear is since January, he's been thinking about this Mexico game. And pretty much every time the U.S. has gotten into camp, they've been preparing for Mexico. It's kind of like how Chris Smalling, after the Europa League final, said, yeah, once we made the final, you know, we had to play these other teams, but every day in training, we were just preparing for Ajax. Mm -hmm. And it's like every time the U.S. got together, it was like, okay, yeah, we have to go to Panama, uh, you know, Here's how we're going to line up. Go play. You know, be ready. It's an Akaka Calf away game. Or we're playing Honduras. Go out there and, and play. Like, you know, you're better than Honduras. But every time we were training, it was in preparation for Mexico. And he makes these changes to the team, which everybody's jaw drops when they see the lineup. There's seven changes. That's a lot. Everybody's looking around like, where's Darlington Nagby, who has been good for the national team. I still don't understand how everybody's made him an automatic starter mm -hmm. in their eyes. Uh, and like, and then, and then, Oh, Allie Wagner, my girl, Allie Wagner, who seems to always get on my nerves on Twitter because she's a more, she like actually during the Trinidad and Tobago game was like, was like, I can't believe these two guys weren't starters under the last regime. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty appalled that, that uh, Jurgen Klinsmann didn't start 15-year-old Christian Pulisic and uh, Darlington Nagby, who wasn't eligible to play for the U.S. in the last World Cup, too. Like, come on, guys. You can't, you can't look at players like... You can't say, oh, 2000, the 2017 version of Nagby should have started in 2016 or 2015. Yep. The bottom line is Nagby at the Copa America last year wasn't that good, and he had a bad MLS season last year. This year, different story. And he's playing better. He's getting the chances with the U.S. team because of that. He's playing well. Now, in Bruce Arena's mind, he wanted experience at the Azteca. So he went with Omar Gonzalez and Paul Areola. He wanted fresh legs. So he went with uh, Tim Ream in there. And uh, Kellen Acosta came in, which we said that had to be done because you need two midfielders behind Pulisic. He, we can only have one striker. That's Bobby Wood because Bruce Arena is aware that Quint Dempsey and Josie Altidore can't do it. The only issue that I have with the team was DeMarcus Beasley. Mm -hmm. And why is he there? If you have Viafania and you have Fabian Johnson, you don't need to have DeMarcus Beasley as your left wing back. And boom, that got exposed really badly on that one, that one goal. Yeah, no, I definitely feel like uh, Fabian Jonsson should have been in the starting 11 there. Uh, Kellina Costa, though, this is a player that should try and seek a move abroad. Oh, he's fantastic. I, But here's the thing. Like, why have... I've never heard his name linked with a team. No. And... Uh... But, I mean, we don't want it to turn into another Giazzi Zardes. Right, well, Giazzi Zardes... I think I think Giazzi's artist got hurt by not going abroad. Yeah, that's what, that's what I mean though. He was he was really good, and then he's getting a little bit comfortable staying in MLS. Well, he's already very comfortable, and I'm I'm pretty happy that I'm I'm pretty sure he's injured. I'm not sure if he is or isn't, but even if he wasn't, I don't think he's on Bruce Arena's radar. 
And oh. Bruce Arena was his manager. Yeah. Um, I think right now you just you know, what's what's clear is is you know, first of all, player wise, there there are very few players that are really in the fold under Bruce Arena that weren't in the fold under Jurgen Klinsmann, which everybody came out and said that you know they used to yell at at Klinsmann for not giving the MLS players a look. You would have thought once Arena came in, Paul Ariola would be out because he was a fringe player that was just barely breaking into the team. Um, Quinsman had just turned to Sasha question and now under arena, he's out. So it's that, that, that part's interesting. I'm just afraid, you know, it's gotta be the right league for Kellen Acosta. Cause we have a couple of midfielders over in, in Europe that have disappeared right off the map in both uh, Perry kitchen and Caleb Stenko. Maybe if he goes to Germany. Maybe it's it's a it's well, and there that's where Alfredo Morales is, who also fell off the map. Or maybe uh, he's, if he's he... still twenty one. Yeah, put him in Ajax. They love playing those kids. He's still twenty one, so I would be okay with him. Oh, that yeah, it's tough. Yeah, but you're thinking maybe this... stay stay until next summer. See, that's the thing is I think that next – well, next summer is the World Cup. So he's going to go to Russia and he's going to play well and he'll definitely get a move then if he mm-hmm. if he plays well in Russia. You know, all he has to do is play the same way he did yesterday, which yeah. is exactly how good he's capable of being. Um, and interestingly enough, like he's probably the best free kick taker on the team. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very um, good on the dead ball. Yeah. See, I think the right time for him to move – is January. I think I'd be okay with him playing out the MLS season, but then what you what ends up happening in, in these situations is, you know, say he gets the summer move now and then they, they loan him back to the MLS club and it's it then then you know you're not joining your team until January and then it's very hard to break in to oh, a new yeah. team. And then it's like you lose half a season right before the World Cup. Mm-hmm. So it's a very difficult situation because I do think the time to move is soon. I think a year is too late, but January is also not the right time. So I and but right now would be too early. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the World Cup would be a very good shopping window for him too. And the, and and you know we were impressed with Bradley in this game. Bradley had his best game since the since the Mexico game before the 2014 World Cup when mm. he scored two goals. This was his best game, and part of the reason was because he had Kellen Acosta next to him. Yep. And and with that, you know, we always we always say, you know, Bradley and Jermaine Jones. Jermaine Jones has that engine; he can run all over the field, similar to the way Acosta does. But they both try to get forward. Acosta recognizes when Bradley's going to take that last run into the box, and he's able to stay back. And he just has the recovery speed, even if he gets caught out, to get back. Now, yeah. part of it all, part of it was also, you know, the U.S. was fouling people. Uh, you know, they were doing those. You know, you just foul them so that they can't quickly go on the break, and the referee wasn't calling it. I mean, Michael Bradley at one point stuck his foot out just to trip the guy up so that they couldn't counter, and no foul was called. And yeah, like Bradley kind of looked around like, "Oh, really?" and then like passed the ball off to a teammate. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel like uh, the referee didn't do a very good job in this one. No, he did. He did not, and and it started as Elliot said. Uh, those the, that those two elbows right at the beginning. It yeah. should have been a. It should have been a sending off. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, the U.S. But at the same at the same time, though, his assistant referee's got to show some balls there too. Yes, because they weren't calling too. anything. Right, I agree with that too. Uh, ultimately, though, Elliot says that you know we were lucky to to get what we got, and yeah, we were. We were on our back foot the entire game, but we, we were letting Mexico do that. You know, that was our strategy, was let Mexico have the possession and, and come at us. Mm-hmm. We, we only, they only took one shot on, on target. Yeah, no, a lot of it was sort of like a power play in hockey almost, where it was going yeah, you know, side like, to side. Yeah, like they had one shot on goal. So, and I would say we were the unlucky team. First of all, yeah, it's great to get a point at the Azteca, but again, remember – you have to factor in that the Azteca isn't what it used to be, which no one was going to write about before the game. No one was going to say that because the storyline is easily 
it, it sells more when you get to say, oh, we have this daunting challenge at the Azteca. And you're so the writers are trying to, you know, build that up that it would be a huge accomplishment to win while they're also trying to minimize, you know, make sure that everybody's not not going to jump off a cliff. If we lose this game by saying, you know, it's the Azteca. We never win there. People are still calling it our most challenging game. No, the most challenging game that we have is Costa Rica. We haven't come close to winning in Costa Rica ever. Um, the What you have to look at and why it's a little bit disappointing is we have spent since January preparing for this game. Mm. Uh, you know, this was the game when Bruce Arena came in. Bruce Arena was like, yeah, I'm here. Like, And we'll, we'll just go through the motions against all these other teams and we'll beat them and we'll collect our points on the road because we can. But this Mexico game, that's the one we want. And then you get that early goal, which you couldn't have you couldn't have counted on that, that Michael Bradley strike. It was phenomenal. But then you get that chance from Bobby Wood, and that's a chance that you expect him to put away. He misses it. The ball ends up in Ochoa's hands. Boom, he throws it down the field. And I remember I was I was sitting on my bed when that Bobby Wood chance happened, and I jumped up. My hands in my face from the miss, and I stayed standing as I watched that entire break go, and I just went, this is a goal. Mm-hmm. Like, here comes a goal. This this is one of those things. It should have been 2-0 the one way, and suddenly it's 1-1. And right there, that's the game. Yeah. But still, we said beforehand four points was good enough, or good even, and they got those four points. So they sit in third place, eight points, same as Costa Rica, who has a game in hand. And two points ahead of Panama. Panama, who also has a game in hand. Uh, they play, let's see, Panama, they play Honduras tomorrow. Home or away? Home. Okay, that's a win. And Costa Rica plays Trinidad and Tobago. At home. Home or away. Home. Yeah, so they'll both win. The, the thing is, again, ultimately, you have to outplay Panama down the stretch. We still play Panama and Costa Rica at home. Yes. Where is that Costa so, Rica? Okay. So, the n- next two upcoming games, that's at home against Costa Rica, that's September 1st. Where is that game being played? I, I believe New York. Okay. I believe Red Bull Arena. Because it doesn't show up here. And then they play away to Honduras on the 5th. Oh, that's a tough time to go to Honduras. I'd prefer going to Honduras in October. It's going to be hot. It's going to be muggy. Yeah. Yeah. That Honduras, they play these games at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, it's so hot there. Yep. That's a tough game. And then they got... Yeah, you, should almost, you should almost play that game... Uh, see, like, you should play your... The game before going to Honduras, you should play that one in Jacksonville. Because that it's a hot and muggy place also. Ooh. No, I mean New York is September, early September. New York's pretty hot and muggy, but it's not that. That's bad. that's a tough. Yeah, that's a tough trip. And then Costa might be in Washington. Hmm. I might be crazy for for saying that. Maybe I'm just thinking of previous years. I don't know. And then they got Panama at home the, in the October or the October sixth of October. They played that in Orlando. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's all right. I'm mixing that up. So first of all, they should switch that. Play, play Costa Rica and Orlando in September and then play uh, Panama in New York in then, October. They're playing Costa Rica and New York. And then they close things off with a game on the road against Trinidad and Tobago at the Hazley Crawford Stadium in the Port of Spain. Yeah, that'll also be a, a toughie. Yeah. But hopefully by then we'll have at least clinched third place. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big thing, too. As long as you get third place, so you avoid, you know, finishing fourth and going that inter-confederations playoffs thing, then, you know, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not worried. We have literally who I think is the best player in CONCACAF on this team. He happens to be 18. Uh, he's got a new coach in Dortmund who just took a bunch of kids to the Europa League final. Yep. So we know he's not afraid to play kids, which is great. Pulisic will keep playing at a top level in Germany. And frankly, I remember at the beginning of the year saying, look, Dortmund just brought in, they spent money on Deb Bailey. They spent money on Emery Moore. They spent money on Andre Sherwood. They spent money on Mario Gutsay. Um, 
they still have Gonzalo Castro. They still have Marco Royce. I was like, we'll be lucky if Christian Pulisic plays like 15 times this year. And turned, he played like over 40. Yep. I mean, the guy played every – I think he was second on the team in appearances. Yeah, I think he had 42 appearances. Yeah, so keep keep that up. I mean, this is a kid – he has more goals and assists than anybody else – uh, in U.S. history in their first 15 caps, which is tremendous, especially since, uh, like, how many of those caps? Like, three of them came at the Copa America where he was the second-half substitute and did nothing. He's on pace. He's on pace to become the U.S.'s all-time leading scorer by 2022 when he's 24 years old. Mm, hopefully, Think about that for hope, a second. I mean, like, ho- hopefully... Hopefully it will He's already out. on pace. He's already on pace to eclipse Donovan's record, and he hasn't had the ability to play those cupcake friendlies that Donovan played, like, you know, in the Bob Bradley and the Bruce Arena era. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't. He hasn't gotten to play those cupcake friendlies because remember, up, leading up to the 2006 World Cup, the U.S. was playing such easy friendlies. They were the number four team in the FIFA rankings uh, yep. because they played such easy friendlies. So Pulisic hasn't had the chance to do that. He hasn't played a home gold cup yet, which is a great place to inflate your numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's not an MLS player, so even though he's on the roster, I don't expect him to be in this upcoming gold cup, um, which Donovan got the benefit of playing in a bunch of those. Yeah. So, you know, and already he's on pace to do this by the time he's 24 years old. That's incredible. Yes. No, I, I mean, it is, it is the most exciting talent coming out of U.S. soccer in a long, 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 long time, if not ever. So. I just I just think talent-wise, he's, you know, at the moment, you can't say he's had a better career than Landon Donovan. I think talent-wise, it's fair to say he's a better player than Donovan ever was. Yeah, well, now, we... it's, now it's a matter of will you deliver on the big stage because Donovan did yeah. for the country. He didn't do it for, for the big stage for club. In terms of the grand stage, which is Europe, where Pulisic is delivering, but he did it for his country. He, you know, he pretty much put us on our back at that 2010, on his back in that 2010 World Cup. Will Pulisic be able to do the, to do the same? Well, and there's a key difference here too that you know at at the age he's at, you know, when Donovan was 18, he was, you know, playing. Bayer Leverkusen's second team or making a couple of appearances in the first team. Um, yeah. He's, he's got some, he's got a, a years ahead of, of Donovan. And I mean, like one of the things that Donovan was able to do, especially at the, at the 2010 world cup, he was really good in a team that wasn't designed for him. Mm-hmm. You know, the U S was still back in the stone age where they were like, you have to play four, four, two. And we need these, we need holding midfielders. So it was like, well, we need to play two strikers up top. Donovan's like an outside attacker. Dempsey's like an outside attacker. That just means both of them have to be on the wings because we needed to play out the door, who was still a promising striker back then, along with Robbie Finley, who is the worst excuse for a striker to ever exist and ever play in a World Cup, including any striker that ever played for like one of those minnows in the World Cup that like doesn't even score a goal. Robbie Finley worse than that. Okay, there we go. Uh and, and Don, so Donovan's like pinned out on the right side in this tournament, and he was still really effective. The U.S. now is slowly but surely, they're just building this team around Pulisic. Yeah, and, and that's what they should do. That's what they should do. It is what they should do, and it's what they should have done with Donovan years ago. You yeah. know, it, it, took, it took a long time for someone to move Dempsey to the middle. Where, you know, we're, uh, I think at the following year, they moved Dempsey kind of towards the middle, but it might have been Klinsman who just said, look, we're just going to play Dempsey as, as that second striker off the uh, shoulder of Altidore. And that opened up Quint Dempsey to all of a sudden becoming the, the big-time scorer that he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's the thing, though. If you have a player that's so good, you should cater to their abilities. And, you know, and, and it was weird, too, because I saw this after, you know, this is now we'll move over to Europe segue uh, after Sweden beat France two to one and people were like oh we would have never beaten them if we had Slatan in the team and I'm like really 
You okay? So people are harping on Slatan and saying that Sweden is a much better team now that he's not, you know, in the team anymore. And I'm just like, you guys are crazy. I mean, you you won that game because Hugo Lloris remembered that he plays for Tottenham and he and he taught them real hard. Yeah, he spursed it. Yeah, spursed it real hard. So um, yeah, if you have a player that's that good, you know, cater to them. I don't think that. You know, you saw Wales. They got a 1-1 draw against Serbia. They were without Gareth Bale. It's not like, oh, Wales, they're going to play so much better now that that they're not, you know, they don't have their star player. That's small. Wales is an interesting one because they don't cater to Gareth Bale. I mean, if you remember what they did at the at the Euros, they were like, eh, like how like, they played Gareth Bale as the striker. Yep. They just went, well, we want we don't want Bale on the outside because like we don't want Bale to be setting up service for other people because who the hell do we at? Mm-hmm. So they took two wingers in Bale and Hal Robson Canoe, and they put them in the middle and they just told Robson Canoe, like, run through the channels, create space for Bale. And, you know, Bale was just the guy in the middle. So it, it's international football is that unique thing where, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't get to pick your players. Yeah. So, you know, the U.S. is, is a benefit to, to build around Christian Pulisic because they can't go out there and, and sign someone else. And, you know, sometimes sometimes you're a team like Germany where you have four unbelievable se- – or Belgium where you have four unbelievable center backs. You don't really have fullbacks. So you say, eh, we'll just throw one of our center backs back there and just hope that we're talented enough. Or you're just – or you're Wales where – or Portugal – where mm-hmm. you have one unbelievable talent who is so much better than the rest of your team, and you're just like, we're going to play you out of position because we, we just want you to get the ball in a place where you could score because that's really the only chance we have to do something. Here. Yep, absolutely. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about England, of course, as we are a Premier League podcast. They got a 2-2 draw against Scotland. Uh, some uh, interesting final minutes in, in that game. Oh, there was a lot going on in this game. Yeah. And it's it started in the first half where we had the Joe Hart wearing a baseball cap thing. Yeah, I haven't seen a goalie wear a baseball cap in a long time. ages. So that was – I think the last person that I remember seeing was like Paul Robinson at Old Trafford did it in like 2006. Um, uh, yeah, I mean the, it was uh, it was much more common. But I knew Oliver, yeah. Kahn, Oliver Kahn did it numerous times. Uh so. Also, what was funny was his hat looked exactly like the one that Tony Romo always wears, just that blank navy blue hat. That's boring. He could have at least had a you know some form of logo on it. It also looks like the caps that England give out, like when you win an international cap. It literally just looked like he grabbed one of his caps and just threw it on. Yeah. It was a lot going on. It did not mesh with the yellow that he was wearing. There was there was a lot there. Yeah. And otherwise, England played really terribly in the first half. It was yeah. really freaking boring. Yep. Yeah, Leigh Griffiths got two goals for Scotland. 80, well, Oxlade Chamberlain gave England the lead in the 70th minute, and then Griffiths goals in the 87th and 90th minute, and then Kane. I had also bet draw at halftime and England to win at full time, so that Oxlade Chamberlain goal came in, and because England started to come into the match in like the 40th minute, and things got a little dicey yeah. where I was. And then, uh, then they hold off. We get that draw at halftime, and I go, good. Halfway home, the Ox scores. Scotland never looked like they were going to score. And, and then you give up two free kicks in the sun with Joe Hart standing in the shade. Yep. I mean, if you just look before they even struck those balls, there was no – like all you had to do was put that thing on target and Joe Hart's beat. I mean, if you, if you watch um, – it happens all the time in in baseball in the first round of the playoffs when they play all those day games and like there's one game that like first pitches at like four o'clock and because it's it's October the angle of the sun and everything it happens so many times you see like home plate is covered in shadows and the pitcher is in the sun and those games go like those innings fly by at the beginning because the hitters can't see the ball. Mm-hmm. And you just wait for the sun to dip below the stadium so that the pitcher's mound is now in the shadows too, and you could actually have a chance. Joe Hart never had a chance of stopping those balls. Yeah. So Griffiths, th- those were his two first goals for Scotland too. He plays for a yeah, Celtic. Yeah, and they were they were they were huge. And then somehow England comes out of the comes out of nowhere. 
literally nowhere to tie that game up. Yep. I mean, Cap- was it? it was Captain Danny Rose. Who, right, but it was Danny Rose who like launched across from like an area of the field that you would never launch across from. Mm-hmm. And Kane just runs onto it and, and puts it home. Yeah. That was incredible. Mm-hmm. Just, so Garrett South Yeah, Garrett Southgate had an interesting comment here. Um they play France tomorrow in a friendly. And he was talking about maybe playing John Stones in midfield at some point. Why? Uh, he think he might be suited as a holding midfielder. Uh, I mean, is he suited as a midfielder more than a defender? Probably. See, I don't, I don't disagree with that. He probably is suited as a midfielder more than a defender because no one ever talks about John Stones for his defensive prowess. They talk about how good he is with his feet. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this is, yeah, is he better? Maybe he'll, maybe he'll be better as a midfielder than he is as a defender. Does that make him one of the best midfielders on England? No. I mean, that's yet to be seen. We both, I, you think you're, you are adamantly no. I strongly think no. Like you have Eric Dyer. He's the best holding midfielder. Uh, in the Premier League that's not named N'Golo Conte. I would, I would say he's maybe a top 10 holding midfielder in Europe. You know, like, why do you need John Stones there? You also, like, you know, you have so many other... Maybe he's better than Jake Livermore, but, you know, yeah. I don't know why Jake Livermore's playing there either. Yeah, I mean, that, that, yes, he would, you know, he would definitely not start in that position. And it's, I it's, and I feel like he's too much of a defensive liability to play center back. Yeah, I, I just I mean maybe he's. I, I sometimes I just feel like he's on the team because he's a fifty million dollar defend uh, fifty million pound defender. Yes. You know John Stones' name is worth so much more than John Stones the player. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's true, and I mean uh, we'll, we'll... it would be it would be an interesting situation uh and then what is he gonna change around the i know he's starting tom heaton in goal and mm-hmm. um jack butlin's gonna play the second half yep that's good which is which is good because it's about time you guys got rid of joe hart yep um even if he does show up wearing a baseball cap i'm a big proponent of the baseball cast for goalkeepers uh i i was impressed that he gave rashford the start against Scotland, do you now start him central? Like, if you're going to go out there and trot out Jermaine Defoe in this friendly, I mean, get lost. Yeah, no, put him on the bench. He can come in with, like, 20 minutes left. Are you going to start Kane? Are you going to start Rashford? Because, again, I looked at this match. Yeah, start and Rashford. I was shocked that Kane. I was shocked that Kane got the winner because Kane has been kind of useless for England in the summertime, and part of that is because... He, get, he Tottenham ride him all season long, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, Tottenham did go out there. They bought Vin, uh, Vincent Janssen so to relieve the pressure from Kane, so that they could play, um, so that they could play Burnley at home in March and just be like, we're not going to start Kane today. It didn't work. Janssen couldn't score, so they never had the ability to do that, and therefore they had to ride Kane all season again. That's fine because Tottenham pays his wages. They don't pay him nearly enough, but they pay his wages. They get to do what they want to do. But England can't—you can't be so naive when all you do is complain that your that your players are tired because the season is so grueling, and then not play your freshest players. You know, like Harry Kane was invisible at the Euros last year, partially because he hasn't had a summer off in a while. But maybe go with one of your fresher guys. Yeah. No, I think, I mean, I would start Rashford. Defoe can come in in the second half. Uh, it's a good opportunity to give uh, Kieran Trippier and Ben Gibson their first caps. Uh, maybe Cresswell yes. can play as well. Um, so, there. I mean, there's some things they can do. I, I'm glad, though, that they decided not to, to start Hart against France. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see what France does. Yeah. I mean, they, they should probably move around a little bit, too. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, how much do you move around? Because France, their their defense is pretty set. You know, maybe maybe you give that, um, I forgot his name, but the guy who played really well in the last two games of the Euros was a defender, young kid, 
hadn't really had a cap before. I think he went to Barcelona. I forget his name. He might not even be in the picture anymore. Uh, um, Untiri? I don't know. Samuel Untiri. Yeah. That's the Barcelona guy. Yeah, he played well. Uh, for some reason, they started Sissoko in this game against Sweden. That was weird. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would. If you're France, I look. I look to the front and maybe mix things around there. Like, you want to put Pogba in there because you want anybody that's going to play that you're trying to say like, oh, let's give this kid a chance. Like, uh, I don't know if Usman Dembele is on the team. I would assume he is. Uh, I would start him if he is. You want to see how Usman Dembele and Antoine Griezmann and Paul Pogba link up. You don't necessarily need to see Olivier Giroud out there. No, you got Dembele, you got Mbappe, you got Lacassette, you got Florent Tauvin. I mean, they got a lot of interesting younger... Lacassette's 26, but you know you got you got some interesting players up front that you can switch around so you don't have to play Griezmann, Giroud, Payet. Jeez, Morocco, Monaco has to be sitting there going, do not play Mbappe and showcase him off to the English teams any more than you already have. <laughs> no, and then, you know, they got who... Uh, Adrian Rabiot, he's fairly you know new to the squad. He only has three caps. Uh, Thomas Lemar, uh, also a Monaco player, he only has four caps. Then you got um, you know Chelsea favorite Kurtzuma. He only has two caps. Yeah. Uh, the only players without caps are Alphonse Ariola, the goalkeeper. I don't think he's gonna. I mean, Loris is starting, so I'm not sure that that's gonna. They probably won't sub him. And then you got Presnel Kimbempe from PSG. Mm. This do you. So, you do you. I mean, they, they, they can mix around too. It's just a friendly, whatever. Yeah. So, a um, couple of new things. Uh, Gabriel Jesus has been ruled out of Brazil squad to play Australia. Uh, that game is... Uh, today no well it's weird it's in australia so it's on tuesday anywho he fractured his orbital bone after getting knocked in the face by his teammate nicolas otamendi they're both playing for manchester city but here they were playing against each other of course brazil argentina and uh got a little nice shiner there from otamendi nice i mean that sounds like such a bad injury too yeah, I saw a report yesterday. Now, apparently, it's been conf- unconfirmed. It was a report out of Chile, who my friend told me, like, Chilean reporters make the make even the worst reporters look, uh, what's the word? Good. Trustworthy, Trustworthy I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they pretty much said Alexis confirmed that he was going to move to Manchester City this year, and I was just like, that is... Un- I'll take unnecessary signings for 800, Alex, because yeah. I don't even know where you fit Alexis Sanchez in in that puzzle. No, that's true, and I mean we've seen um, we've seen reports now too that they apparently City wants uh, Irving Lozano, the Mexican player. Um, yeah, and City want everybody. I mean that's what they you know they have a, a rich a rich owner. That's well the thing they is, always want the shiny toy, but they don't you know they forget where does that shiny toy fit. Yeah, but the thing is too that you know this comes from Univision in Mexico. Uh, and apparently any potential deal will see Lozano go to loan to PSV Eindhoven for two seasons. I it, who knows? I mean, it's just strange. It's just really strange. Aston Villa keen to sign John Terry. Why? Good for them. Why? Just why? And then uh, one last thing here is Chinese interest in Newcastle. So a Chinese consortium is uh, interested in buying Newcastle. And is this the... Do you think this is the right time for Mike Ashley to sort of cash in? Yeah. They did just one promotion? Uh, I'm sure I'm sure the Newcastle fans would love it if he Oh, was. they would. They would. I mean, this is... And I think this is the perfect time for him to sell, too. You just, yes. You just won promotion. Who knows how things are going to go next season. Just cash in. You've already he's already tried to sell the club twice. So just cash in. Yeah. 
With that, we'll say goodbye as always. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Polly is P. Questel WFAN. And Elliot is Keats was better. So uh, we'll be back before the Confederations Cup starts. That wonderful, wonderful tournament. It's the Tournament of Champions. Yes. It is the grandest tournament. I mean, I'm just happy I get to see games, honestly, but I can't say yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's so many people that, like, hate on the Confederations Cup, and the only thing that you needed to do was turn on your TV this morning when, like, I was just like, what do you watch? <laughs> I was like, there's nothing on right now. Yeah. <laughs> Give me some games. Exactly. So we'll talk to you before then. Until then, though, have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you.